it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 117. We're going to continue down the train. You'll get the pun here in just a minute. Uh, train tracks of answering some listener questions. We get another great one the other day, and Andrew and I wanted to go ahead and take a stab at answering this. So I'm going to go ahead and read the question, and Andrew and I will do our little back and forth. So it says, hello, Andrew. I pray that your week is going well. I recently subscribed to your real money portfolio and learning a lot. I've been listening to your podcast for some time now and appreciate you and Dave's insights. A few months ago, I ran a screen and found GBX that had some great appeal. I haven't purchased your VTI, but have something that I've been using to assess intrinsic value using Morningstar and Guru Focus information. Question. With the market cap being around $750 million and the sales being $2.81 billion, how does that fit into your preferred metrics for screening? I like the other numbers a lot, and I'm just wondering, could this be a value trap just because it is a smaller company? Thank you for your time again. Thank you for sharing what you learn in an understandable way, Kevin. All right, Andrew, why don't you take a stab and talk about what we were talking about before we came on the air? Okay, yeah. So my idea for this, obviously, I'm going to answer the question eventually, and you're going to have to remind me. Um, but I think, so we, we were kind of looking at this. This is a, a stock I, have, I haven't looked at before. I don't believe you looked at it before either. So we were kind of in the pre-show kind of going and and going through our approach on, you know, checking out a stock like this. And I was thinking, well, this is pretty useful. Why don't we kind of do the same thing, but share it with the audience? So I have a lot of things that kind of pop into my mind when I, when I look at a stock like this, Uh, I'll probably go on tangents to my tangents in this episode. So just bear with me. I think, when you look at any stock, you're going to have a lot of different thoughts to pop in your head. And it's useful to maybe try to distinguish between how are these thoughts going to help me make a decision on whether I want to buy this stock or not. Um, I'm not going to pick a side, you know, and say that somebody should buy this or not. I think maybe that's kind of something the listeners have gotten used to now. 
The other thing, um, I want to make some other disclaimers, I guess, before even starting, and then maybe we can kind of dive in for some of the thoughts that pop into our head and, and take a stab at some of that. I would say, I hope this episode doesn't get discouraging because it's it, it, when you look at stocks, it can, you can really get into the weeds. You can really jump down the rabbit hole and you can do all the things we try to talk about. Obviously, this is a show for beginners. So a lot of the things that we try to emphasize is do not overanalyze, you know, do not try to find everything out about a stock and, and do not be sitting on your hands and not buying stocks in general. I think um, for me, being somebody who's been doing this for over five years, it's easy for me to get stuck in kind of a more advanced approach, if that makes sense. And maybe this episode might turn into that because those are a lot of the thoughts that go into my head now because I've been doing this for a long time. So when I look at the stock, I'm, I'm able to make these mental shortcuts and really get down to what is my ultimate decision going to be? But I realize that's not the right approach for everybody. I think if you're a beginner and you haven't bought your first stock in general, I think this this episode might be a little bit too much for you to handle because uh, it's going to be pretty in-depth on the analysis. And so I'll also, I think I've, I've mentioned this before, I think a lot of the stock analysis... That and a lot of the decision making that you can make on the stock is kind of like, kind of like the eighty twenty approach, where you're going to do fine, and the majority of your results are going to come from, um, probably twenty percent of of the work of you looking at a stock. I think a lot of the return will come from certain stocks that might kind of mimic the the market. And I think you really need to make an evaluation for yourself of what the time commitment is that you want to make for evaluating stocks. I love looking at stocks. I love digging into the numbers. And I think a lot of the things that are going on in my life kind of give me that benefit where it benefits me to spend a lot of time on this. But for a lot of um, average investors, if, if you find it's like pulling teeth, I would probably not do it. And if you think that the extra time you spend to really get to try to generate alpha is what they call it in the industry, but basically trying to beat the market by a couple percentage points, I think it can be very, very rewarding, especially if you're young. Um, but it might not be worth it for everybody, in which case an index fund might be better. Or, I mean, even blindly following my you know the real money portfolio picks that might be a, a great thing too because you kind of have those decisions being automated for you but as it always goes with stocks you know buy and hold is is the huge thing being diversified is the huge thing oh, okay <laughs> now that i've done the tangent on my tangent i've done all my disclaimers now we can kind of dig in right i think the the first thing that pops in mind for me and I, I kind of want to see where, what your thoughts were this uh, were on this too, Dave. So obviously, I use what I call the value trap indicator, and that gives me a great buy or sell signal uh, on on the stock I want to purchase. For me, I look at a stock like this, GBX, and it's a stock that I've never heard of. I've never heard of the business. 
so a lot of the thoughts that go in my head are going to be different than if I buy a stock that's very well known. So as an example, I've and I'm just going to talk about stocks that have been stock picks in the e-leather, but they're kind of expensive now, so they're not strong buys anymore. So I'm not like giving away these picks, but these are picks I've made that have gone up in price quite a bit. So when I think of a stock like Cisco or a stock like Disney or even a stock like Hormel, which Hormel is not really well known to some, depending on what area of the country you are, but they have a lot of brand names that are very well known. I look at a stock like that and once I see a a VTI that tells me I'm going to buy, I almost always just pull that trigger. I mean, like I've I've looked at those stocks in the past and so I've known that the other kind of intangibles are okay for me. But when I think of a stock like Cisco or Disney and you think of the mentality, is this going to be around in 10 or 20 years? Just because it's so familiar to me, I kind of know how that, how their business model works and I can make that kind of thought process where I'm like, is this going to be around in 10 to 20 years? Yeah, probably. So the other things of really digging in don't really apply like it would for a GBX because I'm so confident in them because they're such big names, if that makes sense, that all I really need is a VTI. Whereas if it's something that's not as, not obvious isn't the right word, but not as well-known or one that maybe I wouldn't feel as confident about 10, 20, 30 years from now, I might put a lot more thought into it. Does that make sense at all? Yes. Okay. It does. Do, Do you make, do you take like a similar approach where you maybe have different thoughts on stocks depending on how popular they are or how maybe entrenched in the culture they are? Yes. Okay. So I, try, I mean, to me, that's, that's a, that's a, um, it's a qualitative aspect of looking at a company as opposed to just the number of it. Yeah. Okay. How much weight are you putting versus like, are, are you giving, are you letting a stock have a higher valuation because it's, because you like the quality the better maybe? Yeah, probably. Okay. So that's my first thought is with GBX, I I don't know what they do. And so it's like the first hurdle to, to jump over is well, what exactly do they do? So <clears throat> we mentioned on the podcast before, you can pull up a 10K and you can go to the business section and that gives you, hopefully management has been good at giving you an overview of what they do. So when I did that, they talk about how they do rail cars um, and North American rail cars, European rail car and marine vessel fabrication. So, so they make rail cars and I'm assuming they probably sell them to the railroads or, or whoever, you know, they have their vendors. The other couple tools I think that can be useful and maybe would be some tips is like, I like to get a sense of not only what the company does, but who do they compete against? So two tools that you can use for this. Seeking Alpha, if you put in the ticker symbol and they have a tab on there that's called Peers. And so if you click on that, I actually really like how not only do they group it based on sector, but also on industry. So as an example, they include some of the bigger railroads um, because it's a, it's a related industry, right? So 
if they're selling railroad cars, some of the railroads that pop up, KSU, Kansas City Southern, Norfolk, Norfolk Southern Corporation, Buffett owns outright a couple of railroads and, and he, he's pretty bullish on, I think, the railroad industry in general. I would assume so if he owns these companies and or stocks. Um, so what pops up is our podcast favorite, Trinity Industries. They also do... <laughs> the industry of rail cars seeking alpha calls it construction machinery and heavy trucks and then it looks like there's this other company ticker symbol r-a-i-l called freight car america and it looks like they're in the same industry one other thing you well two other things you can use um i like to also just google the ticker symbol and then competitors and usually somewhere around the top you'll see the nasdaq nasdaq nasdaq.com page and so if you click on that and then you sort by market cap, you can also get a nice list of names. Generally, uh, so like as an example, I get a lot of the same names that Seeking Alpha had, like KSU. So they're group, they, they more group it in. So I guess what's frustrating about doing analysis like this is there's no like they like companies don't have to say when they file a report hey we're in this industry uh in this particular I, I think sectors is more is more widely accepted but industry specifically there's no black and white definition for one so it can be kind of frustrating looking at these different resources um but i think nasdaq is good because it can give you a general idea and then the seeking alpha thing i haven't used it as much lately but i think i will use it more and more because i like how they break it down into specific industry and you can also use finviz and and they also have like an industry kind of tab on there too but those are the things i look at and then from there it's like you have a a context point on if i'm gonna look at this company maybe i'm gonna look at their competitors too and see how they kind of stack up yeah that's a great tool i uh a tool that I use for the comparison, kind of give you an idea of the peers, is uh, Guru Focus uh, has, if you click on any of the um, numbers that you're looking at, revenue, earnings, ROE, doesn't matter. If you scroll down uh, on that page, they have a competitive comparison. And what they do is they choose companies that are in the same industry with headquarters like in the country and are closest in market cap. So you get a, a you get kind of more of a apples to apples as far as the market cap goes for companies like that. So, you know, if you're taking some small microchip company and you're trying to compare them to like, you know, Qualcomm or somebody, some giant, then it's not exactly apples to apples. So um, I like it because it shows you, gives you an idea of kind of a comparison and then it shows you what you're com- originally looking at. So for example, if you're looking at the revenue of uh, Greenberg Greenberg companies, which is the company we're focusing on, it shows you a market cap of 10 other companies and their revenue. So you can kind of get a comparison f- uh, of just that particular metric, whether it's, you know, like we're looking at revenue, it could be price to book. It could be, you know, debt equity it doesn't matter it'll all show you the same thing which is i think is kind of cool that is cool what would be the next thing that pops into your head that you would maybe look at when it comes to a stock like this that you don't know 
Um, you know, the first thing I did uh, when we first started talking about this was I pulled up my um, Seeking Alpha app on my phone and just started kind of looking at the, I guess the first thing I looked at was the price to see what, it, you know, see what the price is. And the first thing you see on Seeking Alpha when you look at the app is it shows you the current price and it also gives you a one-year comparison on the price now i'm not a huge fan of charts just in general but it's interesting to note that you can see that there's been a steady decline in the price of the company since september of 2018 so almost a year there's been a steady decline in the price and that would lead me you know these are all things that make you start asking questions like why why is this what's going on with the company does the market know something i don't initially and what what can I look for? So whether those are good signs or bad signs, if it's the reverse, and let's say the stock has gone up, you know, quite a bit since September of eighteen, then you could also do the reverse of that and spend some time trying to figure out why is the why is the stock doing so well? Are revenues growing? Are earnings growing? You know, has there been a change in management? Has they have they improved on their efficiency of their operations? Have they taken on some huge new customer that's you know driving a lot of this there's a lot of questions that you want to ask and that's i think the the biggest thing when we're talking about screening for companies and trying to determine whether this is a company we'd want to invest in is start making questions make a list of questions as you're going through these initial reviews of a company and trying to determine what's going on why is it what why is what's happening happening and it, 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 they could be very simple things or they could be more complicated. You just don't really know. But that's like the first thing that I looked at. And then the next thing I look at is they have a little section here where you can look at uh, more data and company description. So like Andrew said, you know, you can go to the 10K or you can also just scroll down to the bottom of this. And it kind of tells you just a brief overlay of exactly what it is that they do. And so you can kind of get an idea of that. And then I guess the next thing I looked at was um, the enterprise value and the market cap. And I noticed that it's a smaller market cap. So it's $744 million for the market cap. And the enterprise value is $1.1 billion. So those are, those are good signs. But I guess the question I ask myself is, ooh, that's kind of on the smaller side for me. And that makes me a little nervous about investing in the company when it's a little bit lower like that. But those are, those are just some general things that I look at initially. What about you? Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending budgets and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances.
Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Yeah, I I pull it up on FinViz. That's the very, very first thing I do, mm-hmm. which I failed to mention. <clears throat> and so I'm, I'm looking at what the valuations are based on what I see on FinViz. Because I've been doing this a while, I can kind of tell roughly where the VTI will lie. Um, mm-hmm. The next step would probably be to run the VTI and double, double confirm that. But I thought it'd be fun to just talk about the stock regardless of it's a strong buy or not. Um, mm-hmm. I guess secondly, I would... <clears throat> to me, long-term health is very important. So I, I want to make sure the balance sheet looks good. This is where another tool comes in that kind of helps you shortcut some of the process so you don't have to dig into the 10K right away. Uh, there's a tool I use called quickfs.net. And they have different tabs. You can look at an overview of the stock and then you can look at the income statement, the balance sheet. So I like to click on the balance sheet because you know Finviz has their debt to equity um, formula, but it's not as conservative as I'd like. So when I go to quickfs.net, uh, then there's a nice. It kind of brings it all in one screen, and it's it's really nice. And most of the time, it's accurate. You always want to double check, but uh, so I'll look. I'll look, and and I'll like I'll look at total liabilities as as one example. Compare that to the equity. That gives me a true sense of the debt to equity, and generally, I want that. Below one, ideally, below 0.5 is even better. Um, once you get to two and above, that's where you start to get nervous when it comes to that. Just based on what I've seen, and I've talked about that before with, um, was it the three strikes and you're out? I think I think that episode yeah. had a lot of it, something like that. Yeah. Um, the other thing I look at in the balance sheet is like how much cash they have and kind of how that compares to the debt. And also if there's a lot of goodwill and intangible assets. So I think if, if a company like this has a lot of goodwill, that would make me nervous because based on what I read about the business overview, they don't really have brand names. Uh, going back to the 10K, one of the things I saw when I read in there was if you look at the competitors section, they talk about sometimes depending on management, they'll talk about 
what their competitive advantage will be um, when they talk about competitors. So for this stock, I think they said they compete on quality. Um, I can pull it up again. I can't remember. They said, uh, oh, here we go. We, we compete on the basis of price, quality, reliability of delivery, launching capacity, and experience with certain product types. So not really a brand name thing, right? So you shouldn't see a lot of goodwill. Um, and I, I just don't like to see a lot of goodwill in general, but uh, maybe if it's a company like Hormel where they have a ton of brands and uh, you feel good about the brand names and you're okay with a lot of goodwill there. I hope that's not too advanced. But yeah, that that would be some of the initial thoughts plus looking at kind of what they do and getting a sense of where they where they fall in the market. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. Um, I love the debt to equity. Uh, kind of looking at that, and, and I, I I've never actually used that website, so I might I'm going to start checking that out. Uh, the the next thing that I look at is the uh, I go to Guru Focus after I look at just briefly at the stuff on Seeking Alpha, just because it doesn't I don't feel like it gives me enough access to enough information to to start you know, looking at more things to ask more questions. So when we look at the deck to equity, for example, for Greenbrier, it's uh, 0.4, uh, which is awesome. Uh, anything below one, Andrew said, is what we're looking for. And and that's that's amazing. Uh, so that's, that's fantastic to look at. Uh, the next thing that I look at would be the return on equity and the return on assets. And uh, the return on equity is a little bit lower than I would like to see. But one thing that I would ask my qu- a question about is I'm not as familiar with this company and it's been a while since I've paid much attention to the rail car industry. That may be normal for them. Um, the industry, it looks like the average is uh, about 12 and a half or so. So it looks like this might be a little bit on the lower side for that. Uh, then the other thing you'd look at would be the return on assets as well. And these are both metrics that show you the profitability of the company. And generally the higher the better and so those are things that you'd want to look for and these are just initial overviews of looking at things and again it's all about asking questions yeah of course so i think uh most websites when they report an roe or an roa return on equity return on assets they're going to use the last year's data so if they have one year of bad earnings that's going to affect those mm-hmm. yeah and so i guess the question becomes there is like is this something that I think will be like, does it seem like they're going to sustain this level or is there a good chance that they're going to improve it? And that makes it like a pretty good value play. Exactly. And along those lines, then with seeking, uh, or I'm sorry, with guru focus, I can actually look back at uh, their, at least initially you can look back at the last four years of, for example, return on equity and to Andrew's point, the trailing 12 months are is quite a bit lower than the historical average for the last four years. Now it has it's showing a a decline over the last four years. Now again, these are all things that are going to you know lead you to ask questions and to do some research to dig into why some of these are happening. Uh, Andrew made a, a a great point in not focusing on the one year number. Uh, when you're doing an analysis of the company. And that's one of the things I guess I wanted to illustrate. And the same thing applies with the return on assets. Those have been quite a bit lower over the last, um, tw- the, uh, the last uh, 
trailing 12 months is quite a bit lower than their historical average. So that, again, would bear something to look into. And it looks like in the third quarter uh, that ended in February of 19, they had it looks like they had kind of a rough quarter for whatever reason. So those are kinds of things that you would want to check into and discover why is this happening? Was that just a one-off? Is there something happened during that quarter that caused it to be a downturn? Is that cyclical for them? Is that normal? These are, I guess, all questions that I want to ask and answer for myself. We've talked about this before, but in essence, what you're doing is you're creating an extended checklist of things that you want to check into. So when you first screen for the company, like Andrew and I've talked about, Andrew talks about in his great book, which I still use uh, every single week, these are all things that will lead you to start doing more investigation. Uh, Buying a company strictly on using those metrics that Andrew mentioned is not the best idea. They're a great way to try to find companies and then start to doing further analysis to decide whether you want to invest in it or not. Yeah, great points. I think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago too, like almost having mm-hmm. a journal of yeah why you're buying a stock and, and being able to reference that in the future. Yeah, exactly. And it, I think it also illustrates, you know, the importance of using longer time periods of and averages to make a decision versus looking at just one year or two years, because then you can see trends. You can see whether the company is, you know, for whatever reason, you can see the good and the bad of a company. I'm not saying anything bad about the company. I'm just saying these are all questions that I want to find out more about. So that kind of leads into... A, a big picture, which I don't think, you know, um, value investors, I think we we have a lot of things that we look at and tend to help us get great results, but something we don't talk about maybe enough is growth. And I think Buffett tries to kind of pound the table about, hey, make sure you're, you're getting growth too. Sometimes that's more important than, than really, what, what is that quote? He says, it's better to buy a wonderful business at a fair price rather than a fair business at a wonderful price. And so as you're kind of looking, you mentioned multiple years, maybe a three-year or five-year, how does how do you start to look at growth when you're looking at a new stock and what kind of questions and or answers are you making when when you're doing something like that? Let me ask you first. Um, that's a good question. Um, I guess when I'm looking at growth, for example, I look at two things. Um, I look at the gro- the revenue growth and I try to do it over a 10 year period. And so that takes a little bit of a little, I haven't found an easy way to look at a whole complete 10 years. Quick FS on that. <laughs> oh, I'm serious. You, it, you get, you get 10 yeah, years really? right on your screen. Yep. There you go. Wow. For real. Okay. For real. Okay. Well, you know what, guys? <laughs> we're we're just gonna we're gonna do this right now. All right. So what is it? Quick quickfs.net. So what I like about this website as well, as you're pulling that up, they also do the R the return on equity, the return on assets. They also do what's called return on invested capital, which is a slightly more advanced metric that some good investors like to use. They will also display some of the 10-year um, growth numbers. So what's called uh, CAGR, Compounded Annual Growth Rate. Basically, like how much has this grown every year for the last 10 years? So for example, 
Greenbrier Companies, GBX, has a 10-year CAGR for revenue of 6.9%. So they've grown revenue 6.9% every, like 6.9% a year over the last 10 years. For EPS, earnings per share, they've done that 14.7% um, per year, which is fantastic. And, and I think it goes without saying that generally um, stock prices will follow earnings and EPS growth over a long enough time period. A couple um, disclaimers I would make about that and something kind of to add as a question when you're looking at, because this is something that I really emphasized in 2015, 2016 um, in the e-leather. And I, I think when you're looking at growth and when you're looking at stocks in general, it's going to, here we go with the tangent, it's going to evolve <laughs> over time. And I think that's actually a good thing. Um, because if you're using the same approach every single month, you're going to get the same type of stocks. And I don't think you'll have a nice diversified portfolio. So I think it's good to kind of have different reasons to buy stocks every single month. Um, and for that to evolve over time. And obviously, as you become a better investor, you start to kind of figure out for yourself uh, which qualitative factors make more sense or which growth factors make more sense to you. Uh, and tend to get better results. I've had some fantastic results, and and I've I've done research on that on how even ten years, you know, a, a ten year track record, which sounds like a really long time, uh, actually helped. Like the next ten to twenty years can still have huge amounts of growth, even if the last ten years had huge amounts of growth. Uh, something I've seen in my research, and something that's played out. Some of my best stocks. <laughs> I think Lamb Research was one of those also. Aaron's comes to mind. That one had huge 10-year numbers. But when you're, going back to that, when you're looking at the 10-year numbers, just be careful because a calculation like the one on QuickFS.net will do one year and look at one year. So it looks at 2018, 2009, and it does a, um, a formula equation for that. You would want to maybe spread that out. So I like to use like a three-year average. So maybe I'm looking at 2009, 2008, and 2007, taking the average of that, and then comparing it to, let's say, 2018, 2017, 2016, taking the average of that. So you're not getting those one-year swings like Dave mentioned, and maybe getting a more fair representation on how the growth has been. Hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Uh if, if I could throw in a note on that too, something that I, I, I play around with a little bit too is looking at the median of the numbers as opposed to an average. Um, because one thing I've noticed when I've done some analysis of companies, when you try to do an average of companies, sometimes you may have one year that's really, really low and you may have another one that's really, really high. And those tend to skew the numbers. And, you know, if you have a year where, you know, your revenue growth is 38% one year, and then you have another year that it's down 14% or 22%, those, and those are abnormal, then those are things that can throw off your numbers. Another thing that I have come across in some of my readings, which I think is not a bad idea to look at, uh, as you're doing a little more analysis of the company, is looking at how the company did during the recession. And comparing those three or four years of how the company did during the recession compared to now, it's not apples to apples, obviously, but it can give you an idea of how will this company do if there is another 
you know, downturn in the market. So as you're looking at investing in a company long term, you have an idea of, hey, Hormel or Disney did great during the recession or not as poorly as other companies, then that could be something that could give you a lot more confidence in the performance of the company going forward because there is going to be a downturn someday. It's just an eventuality. We just don't know when it's going to actually happen. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, those were fantastic. Excellent. I agree with that. And I should use medians more. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any more thoughts on growth or should we move on to dividends? Uh, I guess one thing that I wanted to talk about with growth is uh, besides revenue growth and other aspects of growth, looking at when you're looking at the earnings, uh, one thing to keep in mind with the earnings, and this is something that we've touched on a little bit in the past, is there is uh, a growing um, trend towards share buybacks. And that's been a really popular way over the last you know, 15, 20, 30 years of companies returning capital to us investors. And one thing to look at is, let's say Andrew and I were talking about this a little bit off air. Let's say the company's revenue growth is modest at best, but their earnings growth is skyrocketing. Well, a big reason for that is there's got to be a couple ways that can happen. One is they're cutting costs, which as Andrew mentioned to me, is not sustainable. Uh, you can only cut costs so much and still be effective at doing what it is you do. The other aspect of this is as they do more and more share buybacks, eventually they're going to run out of stock <laughs> to buy or sell. So there has to be a limit on that as well. So those are things that you might just want to necessarily keep in the back of your mind because as the laws of economics work, you know, you really only have two ways to make more money. And that's one is to make more money, actually have more sales. And the other one is to have the cost be in line or reduce your costs. And if you can't do that, then you got to do something else to generate uh, more earnings. And one way to do that is do share buybacks. And if you see that over a long period of time, that would be something that would maybe you know, as Andrew mentioned, you'd want to see the revenue increase at some point. I mean, seeing the earnings go up is great. It means the company is doing a good job of uh, allocating their their resources and using them cost efficiently at where they are and also buying back shares. But eventually that has one of those things has to either plateau or, or bottom out. And if the revenue is not going to grow, then the company eventually will not be able to continue to grow. Do we? Yeah. First off, 100%. Second off, do we want to open that can of worms where we talk about a debate on whether you would buy a company that's maybe short-term, flatline revenue or declining revenue? Should we save that for a different episode? Yeah, let's save that for a different episode. That could be a big can of worms. Okay. So yeah, obviously we could talk about growth until the cows come home. Um, But hopefully that gives you like a good starting point and a good some good ideas on questions asked when it comes to the growth and and how you evaluate that. Um, Dividends. Uh, Something you consider? Obviously I do. Yes. And what what do you do? What would you look at? Uh, What would I look at? I would look at, well, one is the actual dividend being increased uh, at whatever rate that would be. Obviously I would love to see more than not, but uh, you know, you have to take that into consideration of what actually all the things that are going into the company. So I would want to see growth of the dividend. I would also want to look at the payout ratio of the dividend that they're paying me and looking at whether that's sustainable or not. 
And some of that is going to have to do with where the company is in their life cycle. For example, somebody like Coca-Cola, who's been around for a long, long time, and their growth is not going to be quite as much as, say, Amazon, for example. That being said, that all the money that Coke makes, instead of them plowing it back into the company to try to grow the company more, they're going to use it to pay us a dividend and they're going to use it to buy back shares. And so those are the things that, so that ratio that you're looking at, it might be quite a bit higher than, for example, Greenbrier would be because they're not, they're not in the same place in their life cycle as a business. And so if their payout ratio is lower that to me is good because it also still shows that they have money that they can do other things. They can reinvest it in the company. They can use it to buy shares back. So there's other aspects of that. So those are two of the things that I kind of look at with in regards to dividends. As the drip king, what are your thoughts? Kind of what you were talking about with the payout ratio. I think if you really think and conceptualize about the life cycle of a company and one reason why I'm starting to stray from this, but I might I might go back. It really depends on what, what opportunities are out there, right? But even you might look at like let's say you're looking at a stock and and you love everything about it, but the yield is so low. Like let's say you're getting, it's like well why would I get a a point twenty five percent or a point five or even like a one percent yield? <clears throat> you know why why would I go for a stock like that when I can get a stock at like three percent or four percent yield? You know that that's going to be significant difference on uh, on the onset you know a a three percent versus a one percent that's three times more in dividends that you'll be receiving but uh to your point when companies are in the growth stage and and maybe they're only paying out 25 30 percent of earnings so they can reinvest the rest in the business and they're able to grow the business at a very high rate well that's good for shareholders it's good for your dividend compounding as well because those shares that you own are, are getting more and more valuable. Um, so that's that's kind of a factor, and that kind of goes to what you're saying about Coca-Cola versus maybe even Greenbrier. I mean, based on their growth metrics, it seems like maybe they're a younger growth type company. And so the fact that they don't pay out as much as far as the payout ratio goes might not be a terrible thing. And I've done some research on that too, where I've seen some of the best dividend compounders over like let's say a 15 year time period some of those have started at a higher yield like um altria group the cigarette company ticker symbol mo um they were one where you started out at like a crazy high yield and they also were able to continue to grow earnings for a, a superior rate and grow that dividend and it it made a lot of people very very wealthy uh, the people who stuck through it and reinvested uh, but another example would be like a Walmart. I think they started, you could have bought Walmart in the 1980s and you would have only gotten like a 0.5% yield. But because they compounded that at such a high rate and their their dividend grew so much from a small base and, and your shares grow, even if it's just a little bit, you start that compounding snowball, uh, then the, the, different, the results are, are very high at the end. And so even a um, company like Walmart, they also had crazy, um, crazy levels of returns. And, and you're talking about growing tens of thousands into hundreds of thousands. 
uh, and, and just from the compounding. So to your point, I think payout ratio is good, a good idea to look at, but you know, one that's lower isn't necessarily bad if, if the company is growing and one that's higher isn't necessarily bad because they might be at that mature stage. And so imagine like a, buying a stock like Buffett has done with Coca-Cola. I think I mentioned this example a couple of weeks ago. But if at the beginning of their life they were growing and you were getting those dividends and you were reinvesting those dividends, so let's say instead of one share, you own like one and a half shares or something, so you own 50% more, you're going to get 50% more of the dividends that they're paying as they're matured. And so, you know, as a company kind of um, changes their philosophy or, or kind of changes their priority from reinvesting to giving dividends back, well, all of those little uh, fractions of shares that you've in the, uh, accumulated for yourself and reinvested, those you'll get such a bigger proportion. So I hope you can kind of illustrate how that that huge, it's like a huge funnel. And at the very end, you want that company to be paying you all these fat dividends and it will just multiply if you've reinvested anything in the beginning. And that can just lead, that can, that could fund, that could fund a retirement that could, that could give you serious income stream from small little dividends that you started 20 years ago. And it could give you this huge dividend stream now because the amount of dividends they pay out is so high now that even a little fraction of a share that you picked up in the early years now becomes a huge dividend and a huge income stream for yourself. Um, when I look at dividends, I also look at you know what their history has been. Seeking Alpha, a tool I've been using more and more lately, they also have a dividends tab, so you can look on there. It gives you what the dividend yield is, what the payout ratio is, the five-year growth rate, which I don't know why for this company it doesn't show up. But then dividend growth as well. It gives you how many years of dividends have they paid out consecutively. So in general, I like to see at least five years, but I'm not necessarily disqualifying a company if it only has one or two years. Um, I've bought stocks historically that didn't have any dividend growth, and I kind of regret that in hindsight. I'm probably making that more of a focus as, as I move forward. Um, but you know, with, with the dividend picture, similar with the growth picture, similar with the value, you know, we try to kind of merge all those three. I know I do with, with, with the drip, um, philosophy that I really try to push, but also the margin of safety emphasis on the safety. And then obviously growth is something we probably should talk about more, but those three things really make for a nice hybrid of, of driving returns. And I've talked in the past about how, getting that value on, on a dividend compounder is kind of like injecting it with gross serum. And, and you really start with a, with a nice head start on the compounding. I think sometimes some of these metrics, you have to f- kind of figure out how you're going to prioritize them and maybe think about what's the end goal here with the stock. You know, uh, I talk about how I split my portfolio into regular positions and dividend fortress positions and you're not always going to get a great dividend compounder opportunity every month. So maybe you look at a stock like a Greenbrier and maybe, you know, again, I'm not trying to say you should buy or sell, but maybe your angle for this isn't, hey, I'm going to try to get income for 20 years on this and hope it's around for 20 years. But maybe your angle here is I hope for a 50% pop, right? And so that can where that can be where a, a value 
a value play comes more into play. And so you're like, well, the growth isn't as great as this other stock I see, but the valuation is so much better. I could see it having a 25% pop or a 50% pop. And then so maybe you're in and out of that stock within three to five years. And that, that you knew going on the onset that that was kind of the goal that you were setting. And, and so that's why you prioritize the valuation versus the growth or the dividend. Uh, that can kind of work the same way on the opposite side, you know, where you, you go back to the Buffett quote, uh, wonderful business at a fair price. And maybe you're looking at this as a dividend compounder that you're going to hold for 40 years. And so you're okay that maybe the valuation isn't as great as you'd like to see it, or maybe the growth hasn't been as great lately, but over the long term, it's been fantastic. So you're okay. So there's always trade-offs. There's always things to consider, and there's always different reasons for buying stocks and different maybe exit strategies for different stocks. And so I've kind of been experimenting with that, and I have my my portfolio structured that way. And maybe that's something you want to do too. Or maybe you just want to be hardcore ham, a hardcore value guy, or ham, a hardcore drip guy. That's cool too. Everybody has what what they're comfortable with and what they're not. And so maybe having an end goal in mind and maybe prior maybe that colors your decision making on on what you're prioritizing, whether that's the dividend history, the dividend where it stands now, the valuation as it is now, and maybe the growth, whether that's where it is now or where it's been historically. That was all excellent. Yeah, those are all great points. So I guess Kevin asked <laughs> at the very beginning, he says, um, <laughs> I like the other numbers a lot, and I'm just wondering, could this be a value trap be- just because it's a smaller company? What do you think? Oh, boy. Uh, as a just an overview of looking at the company, I would say there are some, definitely some positive things to investigate and there might be a few negative things to investigate but overall you know i guess the first thing that would make me think that it's not a value trap is the deck to equity is really low so the uh, the opportunity for the company to go bankrupt quickly is pretty negligible uh, they don't look like they are doing anything extreme that would give you pause to think, you know, oh, hey, what's going on here? Uh, you know, the revenue has grown quite a bit since 2009. That's always a good sign. And along with that, their gross profit has grown. So, I mean, there are some definite positive signs to the the, the company. And the fact that they pay a dividend, uh, they're in a relatively easy industry to understand they make things i mean it's not uber complicated where some of the text things you know you read some of the 10ks for the tech ones you're like oh what (laughs) i I know they're using english but i don't exactly understand what they just said uh you know i i guess just a quick overview of everything it doesn't look like it's a value trap to me uh as somebody who got involved with a value trap i.e gamestop uh, I don't think that this strikes me as that kind of company. What are your thoughts? So he, I'm going to be very... Um, he asked, do you think it's a value trap specifically because of the size? So I would not buy this stock because of the size. So I have like I have a few 
hard and fast rules that really help my decision making process and and helps limit my my sphere and that's just a reflection on where my risk tolerance is so you guys have heard in the past we we had a debate on the negative earnings thing that's just like a hard boundary for me i'm just i'm not owning a stock that has had negative earnings um just released okay the second one is it has to be a value trap indicator strong buy that just simplifies things for me as well and make sure that for me valuations are at least reasonable and the third thing is this which is the size so i'm not buying any stocks below 1 billion and i wish i remember which episode we we kind of went much deeper I, th- I think it was something about microcap, but y- you would have to go back in the archives and, and check that out. But I've mentioned how Cliff Notes, right? I mentioned how I would buy a stock between one to two billion. Uh, I prefer over two billion, and I'm talking about market cap here. Um, but as you get below one billion, I think there's just a ton of risks there. Um, but you know to to Kevin's point here, it is close to a billion. It has, at least from the surface level, it seems to have all the right numbers going for it. Um, so that's kind of your call and whether you think it's a value trap or not. I would just say I wouldn't personally buy it because it crosses that boundary, but it does look very interesting. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's uh, It's an intriguing find for sure. I mean, there's like I said earlier, there are some things about it that are like, hey, it gives you pause to like, yeah, this might actually be something to look into to investigate further. Uh, but I would probably tend to agree a little bit with Andrew on the uh, the lo- the smaller market cap that would give me pause. It certainly wouldn't be uh, something I would immediately go, yep, I'm definitely going to really dig into this. It would be something more along the lines for me that I would probably throw on my watch list and keep an eye on it and as the market starts to realize hey this might actually be a really good company and everything starts to come back to more of the um return to the law of averages i guess is the best way of putting it i I think that the market cap could certainly rise and when it does then that would be something that might actually be worth investigating further in an in actually investing in uh it would just the the lower market cap would give me a little bit of a pause for sure but it's certainly not a you know hard and fast no uh but it would be something that i would want to consider i guess i mean to play devil's advocate again i'm not an expert on this but it does seem like the industry is smaller like the railroad cars specifically manufacturing Mm -hmm. Yeah. smaller I, but you know i don't know what's what's the growth or are there growth catalysts for that industry um what what's keeping a railroad from doing that in-house rather than purchasing it right so many right. factors and and when you're that size like one big competitor could really come in and just i don't know could could buffett come in and like buy up the whole industry who knows i don't yeah, know yeah certainly so, there, there's there's, there's a lot of ways you can say yes or no for wanting mm-hmm. to, to either follow the rule or, or kind of break the rule on um yeah on on the market cap thing 
for for example, for yeah, for sure. I guess one other thing that I wanted to throw out there, you're talking about kind of a make or break uh, as far as the company goes. The, the debt to equity obviously is something that Andrew and I both agree on, and it's very low, which is a, a very good sign. But one thing that I would definitely investigate with them with Greenbrier would be who are their customers and it will tell you in the 10k where sometimes. they're selling sometimes <laughs> the good companies will tell you who they're selling to and if you find that for example Greenbrier has one customer and they're relying everything on that particular customer that would be something that I would want to pay very close attention to because if you're throwing all your money into one company and for whatever reason that contract expires or they find somebody else or that company that they're selling to goes out of business, then Greenbrier is you know, going to be in serious trouble. So <clears throat> those are things that I would want to investigate as well as far as in regards to a value trap or not. Excellent point. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about this company called Greenbrier and kind of our thoughts on where we find the information and kind of how we do a initial analysis of a company and some of the things that we look for. I discovered a great new tool, uh, quickfs.net. That was awesome. I've been looking at it since Andrew told me about it and fantastic. Two thumbs up. Uh, I also wanted to mention that we would love to get some great reviews on iTunes. So if you guys are enjoying what we're doing, if you could take a moment and go to iTunes and give us a five, that would be fantastic. Uh, the more people that, the higher the reviews we get, the more people we can help because people search based on popularity of shows and that's how iTunes will do it. So thank you for any positive reviews you guys give us. We love to hear from you guys again and keep sending us these great questions. This is a lot of fun. We really enjoy trying to help you guys. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. Invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Talk to you later. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.